And good afternoon, GRN listeners across the South and Central Texas listening area. This is your live and local program. This is In His Vineyard. I'm Gordy Zambrano, your general manager for the Guadalupe Radio Network South and Central Texas listening area. You can hear this program every Monday at noon right here on your local GRN station online at grnonline.com or on the free Guadalupe Radio Network app. We're also streaming this live program on Facebook. If you're part of our GRN South and Central Texas Facebook group, be sure to join us there. Thank you to everyone tuning in from Marble Falls, Fredericksburg, Kerrville, Uvalde, and right here in good old San Antonio. We're grateful you've decided to spend this hour joining us and getting caught up on all things Catholic in South and Central Texas. On this program, we try to bring you a variety of informative discussions highlighting different people, ministries, and events going on in the Archdiocese of San Antonio and parts of the Diocese of Austin. On today's program, we'll be speaking with Dr. Scott Hahn, founder and president of the St. Paul Center for Biblical Study in Steubenville, Ohio, and who's also an exceptional speaker and best-selling author of over 40 books. We're going to talk about his newest book. We're going to talk about his speaking engagement this Saturday, November 18th at Our Lady of the Atonement Catholic Church. And we're also going to be speaking about uh, the St. Paul Center. He is the founder and president and uh, anxious to hear about everything uh, pertaining to the St. Paul Center. On our second part of our show, we're going to include our newest sponsor, our newest Guadalupe Radio Network sponsor, AIP Hospice, which stands for Aging in Place. And we're going to be talking about hospice care and everything you need to know about AIP Hospice and hospice care, the industry of hospice care itself. I'm really looking forward to these conversations, these discussions, and thankful to our guests for coming on the show. So before we begin those conversations, let's get today's program started the way we should do all things, and that's in prayer. And remember, as we pray, ask the Lord to make his will known to you and for the grace to accomplish his will in loving obedience. So we start in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Dear God, may everything we do begin with your inspiration, continue with your help, and reach perfection under your guidance. With your loving care, lead all of us in our daily actions. Help us to persevere in love and sincerity. Bless us with an abundance of courage in proclaiming your holy name and the teachings of your church. Grant us the grace to do your will in loving obedience. Heavenly Father, keep us under your constant protection and draw us, our families, and our loved ones ever closer to you. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And just want to kick off the show here, letting you know, uh, giving you a recap of last week, or actually last weekend. Uh, the Deacon's Gala was held last Friday at Holy Trinity. I had the privilege of being there with our Guadalupe Radio Network table. It was so awesome. What a beautiful event. Deacon Paul and Father Juan Molina did a great job. It was sold out. And it was nice being in, in a room full of uh, devoted Catholics. And, you know, the highlight of my evening was, of course, uh, meeting with the three bishops and taking pictures with them. It was awesome. Uh, of course, Archbishop um, Gustavo uh, was there, and it was such a privilege to uh, talk to him, uh, His Excellency, and also Bishops uh, Mike Boulette and Bishops Gary Yannick uh, was there. And so, you know, I, I thought about this, and I know Richard and Sean used to do this when they had the program 
I want to call to prayer right now because, uh, you know, what we're going through, what the Catholic Church is going through, I think there's a, a need for prayer. And I'm asking all the adorers out there who are in adoration at the different parishes, especially those adorers that manage the adoration schedule, which I know is a, a big task. Uh, I know Becky does that over at Our Lady of Grace, and it's a lot of coordination. Coordinating, But uh, I want to organize a monthly hour of prayer devoted to our priests, deacons, seminarians, nuns, and of course, our bishops at the Archdiocese of San Antonio, His Excellency Archbishop Gustavo Sied, Bishop Mike Boulet, and Bishop Gary Yannick. It's so important that we pray for our priests who are the protectors of the Eucharist and are constantly under attack. And they, I know they could use our prayers, which uh, I want to call to prayer and ask those adorers out there to, to you know, devote an hour. I think it's going to be very important. So, again, thanks to the deacons over at the Deacons Gala. It was very fun. And then on Saturday, uh, I had the privilege of being over at Our Lady of the Atonement Catholic Church for the um, the Atonement Catholic Academy's Fair. It was a bazaar. It was so cool. Uh, I had the pleasure of meeting Father Lewis and Father Jenkins. Uh, great job, Erica. We had our canopy out there and we gave out a lot of prayer cards and stickers. And those of you that I gave plenty of stickers to, make sure you put those on your cards and uh, hand those out to your friends and neighbors. And lastly, don't forget our, our Guadalupe Radio Network Christmas share is coming up November 28th through December 1st. And our theme is Joy to the World. So you want to tune in and help support Catholic Radio. We're here, you know, to do, um, uh, to support our parishes and our priests, our vocations, and, uh, of course, to uh, protect the sanctity of life. But uh, I want to welcome to the show Dr. Scott Hahn. This is a huge privilege for me to have him. Uh, I know you're coming in from Steubenville, Ohio. Dr. Scott, welcome to the show. It's great to be with you. It's a huge privilege for me as well. Well, I'll tell you what, I was at Our Lady of the Atonement, where you're going to be Saturday, this Saturday, November 18th, from 6.30 a.m. to noon. You've got a speaking engagement, and the buzz was all about the fair, uh, about Dr. Scott Hahn coming. We're looking forward to having you there, and I know they're excited to uh, to welcome you on Saturday. Well, I'm excited, too. I'm going to be there along with my dear friend, a neighbor, colleague, and uh, associate, Dr. John Bergsma. We're going to be focusing on the Eucharist, of course, as the source and the summit of our lives as Catholic Christians. I'm going to be giving a talk early on Saturday morning, around 8.15 or so, and then uh, we're going to be sharing a little bit of the vision that he and I have for the St. Paul Center, which is co-sponsoring this with the parish, Our Lady Atonement. And by the way, thanks for putting in such a good plug for Father Lewis and Father Jenkins. And yes. I have been such a big fan of Our Lady of the Atonement <laughs> for like over 30 years. Wow. Um, yeah, I, I, my very first rosary was from Father Chris, who was there as a convert pastor, and he gave it to Father Roach, a Jesuit at Marquette, when I was still preparing to come into the Catholic Church. It was this blood-red rosary, and I always thought of Our Lady of the Atonement. And even when I lost it, they found me another one. And so I am wow. grateful. And I was just there, I think, 2021, just two years mm-hmm. ago, almost exactly. And I gave a couple of talks, and the place was just packed. And I tell you, that is a really thick slice of heaven on earth. It is. That parish and the people and the priests. And so, obviously, I am excited to come back. 
Well, I'll tell you what, they're looking forward to you. And we're going to talk more at the end. I, I want to make sure that our listeners know where to purchase tickets and uh, the cost of the tickets and all that good stuff. But what I really want to you know, talk about is those listeners listening that I know a lot of people know about you and you're a best-selling author. But tell those who might not know, maybe there's a couple out there, about who Dr. Scott Hahn is. I'm still trying to figure that out. <laughs> uh, okay, so I'm a child of God, a sinner saved by grace, and I am now just uh, teaching at the University of Steubenville, Ohio, where I have been now for 33 years. Uh, Kimberly and I have been married for 44 years, wow. and we have six kids and 21 grandkids. And once upon a time when we were newlyweds, I was uh, graduating from gordon Conwell Seminary, I was ordained at Trinity Presbyterian Church. I was a Calvinist, an evangelical, a very anti-Catholic mm-hmm. Protestant pastor. Uh, it wasn't bigotry or prejudice, but it was a lot of misunderstanding. But already there at my alma mater, Gordon Conwell, I've been studying Greek, Hebrew, Old, and New, and connecting the dots and discovering the Church Fathers. And this led me and a number of others back then on a search for a mm-hmm. church that really fit what I found when I connected the old and the new. And it was the Eucharist. It was the Passover. It was the manna. It was the mystery of Christ fulfilling all of these promises in the old. It was the mystery of Emmaus. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things before entering into his glory? Their hearts were burning like mine was, but their eyes weren't opened until he took, he blessed, he broke, he gave, my eyes were opened in the, in, the, in the breaking of the Eucharistic bread. When I was doing a Ph.D. at Marquette, I attended a Mass in a basement chapel, and I had my Eureka moment. I mean, it was sort of like Saul. The scales fell from my eyes, and I saw the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the Christ who I sought to serve, but yet persecuted the Catholic Church that then revealed to me a mystery that went beyond anything I could have ever imagined. So I came into the church back in 1986 at the Easter Vigil, committed professional suicide, but whatever loss I experienced, I can't even compare to the incalculably greater gain of Christ's resurrected body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Holy Eucharist and in the mystical body we call the Catholic Church. That's it, in a nutshell. <laughs> wow, I like that. And that was 34 years ago on November 11th, 89. Is that right? Yeah. It was 1986 I came into the church. Okay. But okay. you're right. I gave a talk uh, back in 1989 called Protestant Minister Becomes a Catholic. I think that might be what you're referring yes, to. Yes, yes, on Catholic Answers, talk, yes. Yes, and I gave a talk that was recorded by my dear friend Terry Barber, who I had just met, and that cassette tape went on to sell, I mean, literally millions of copies. It became the basis for the book we wrote called Rome Sweet Home, Our Journey to Catholicism. When Kimberly came into the church in 1990, just 30 years ago, in 93, Kimberly and I wrote that book, and it's now translated into, I've lost track, but over... 30 different languages, wow. and so I am, I, I just feel like this um, this proud donkey that Jesus r- rides into <laughs> Jerusalem, not <laughs> just like so humbled, so grateful, and yet I'm still rearing back and sinning against my Savior, and so I appreciate the uh, I, I appreciate the, the, the kind words that you share, Gordy, but at the same time, even more, I appreciate the prayers that our listeners might offer for our time together this Saturday at Our Lady of the Atonement and for the rest of my time on this uh, 
on this planet. Amen. Yes. And what do you find most fascinating about Catholicism, our universal church? Well, you know, it's sort of like new wine in old skins. Uh, there's something that is just uncontainable, um, that the, the sacred mysteries are not just true, they're real, but they're not just real, they're powerful. They're not just powerful, they're beautiful. Yeah. And yet they exceed everything we can see. And so I'm reminded of what Paul describes in Second Corinthians 4, how it is that our faith does not rest in those things that are visible, but in things that are invisible, which we would conclude, well, that means they're, they're real, but they're less real than what we see, unless, of course, they're not. But he goes on to describe how the suffering that we endure in this life that just seems so great is really the means by which we are prepared for something much, much greater. Let me just put this together. It's 2 Corinthians 4.17. For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Because we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transitory, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And that is the Catholic faith. It is the Father who sent the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit to become a man, to transform us into sons and daughters of the Most High God. And it's like the good news that I believed before I became a Catholic wasn't in any way diminished. It was multiplied exponentially, almost explosively. <laughs> and that's what I find in the Catholic faith. Wow, that's inspiring. And you know what? You have been, I mean, just you're on a whole other level. And what I want to find out is the St. Paul Center. What what was your motivation for starting that? And what is the St. Paul Center about? Well, thanks for that question, Lori, because that's where people can go to find out how to register for Saturday. Stpaulcenter.com. And Saint is just ST. Stpaulcenter.com. <laughs> And we founded this 22 years ago, Kimberly and I, along with my dear friend Mike Aquilina, to promote two things. First, biblical literacy for Catholic laypeople, and second, biblical fluency for our clergy and for our educators. But the one thing that is really in common is that we read Scripture from the heart of the Church to see how the old and the new have always been orchestrated, coordinated, so that in every Mass you will hear the promises of the old, fulfilled by Christ in the gospel reading for which we stand, but the fulfillment isn't over and done. It is going on because the liturgy of the Word is preparation for the liturgy of the Eucharist. And when Jesus instituted the Eucharist, as I mentioned two years ago at Our Lady of the Atonement, the only thing he ever called the New Testament was not a document. The only time he ever used that phrase in Greek, is when he said, this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the New Testament, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. He didn't say, write this, he said, do this. And so the New Testament that was written is really pointing to something even greater, and that is the New Testament, which is Christ's body and blood in the Holy Eucharist. And when you connect the old and the new, when you connect the document to the sacrament, you find this divine fuel, this supernatural grace that will enable us to see that whatever sufferings we face, whatever challenges we face, and these days there are lots, these momentary afflictions are nothing more than just like stepping stones that are going to lead us to something that basically goes beyond my wildest dreams. 
Wow, that is so that's so greatly put. Uh, the other thing I want to ask you is, you know, what what message um, would you or you know, in terms of like who who would attend the St. Paul Center for Biblical Studies? I mean, who are you? Who who is your reach? You know, we look at both laity and clergy. We also target beginners, intermediate, and advanced. So when you go to the website, you're going to see all kinds of online courses that are available at the Emmaus Academy for beginners, for intermediate, advanced, on the Gospels, on the Psalms, but also on Christ, on the Church, all kinds of issues, all kinds of events as well. So we have three times a year a parish priest event, so that, you know, in January in California we'll have 200 priests. In April, down in Austin, Texas, we'll have 200 priests. In July, in Ogle Bay, West Virginia, we'll have 200 priests. And for a week, we basically set their hearts on fire in gratitude for all that they've sacrificed, but to basically send them back to their parishes so that the parishioners can say, wow, you know, look at how they've been transformed by studying Scripture. So we do it for the clergy. We do it for the laity. We do it in parishes. We do it basically every single weekend. Uh, in three weeks, our new international headquarters are going to be opened for the first time, and we want to issue a kind of invitation to everybody to come visit us here in Steubenville, right across the entrance, right across the street from the entrance of the University of Steubenville, we have this new 25,000-square-feet headquarters. Wow. Over 50 of my good friends and co-workers, we've teamed up to basically set the world on fire for the love of the Word of God. Oh, that's beautiful. And, you know, uh, right before my program is Debbie Giorgiani and, and Jerry on Take Two. And, you know, they were, they were saying we need to pray for our Catholic Church and we must stay focused, especially during, you know, these times and what's going on. Social media is blowing up and their, their call was to call to prayer. And that's exactly what I did in my intro is I think we're in need of praying for our vocations, our priests, our bishops, our seminarians and nuns. And I'll tell you what, it's uh, your book, uh, which I want to talk about right now, Catholics in, in Exile, Biblical Wisdom for the Journey Home. I think it's so appropriate for these times. Can you tell us a little bit about that and what inspired you to write it? Yeah, thanks for asking me that question. I'll be talking about the book on Saturday morning. This book has been inside of me for many, many years, going all the way back to when I wrote another book called The Lamb's Supper, The Mass is Heaven on Earth, Mm -hmm. describing how I attended Mass after studying Scripture and discovered in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world through the words of consecration that the liturgy that John describes in the book of Revelation was what was unfolding right before my very eyes. And so you go back into the Old Testament and you discover that this bread from heaven, the manna that gave Israel its sustenance for 40 years wandering in the wilderness, you know, this was their exile. They were pilgrims. They were sojourners. And they're so much like we are because They were surrounded by unbelievers. They were bit by scorpions or by serpents. You know, they had struggles with faith, with unbelief. You know, they just had hardships like we can't even imagine. And yet, what did God provide them every single day? It was bread from heaven. It was the manna. manna. And if that was true in the old, it's not less but even more true in the new, where we have Almighty God, made man, coming to us in the Mass, and there in the Blessed Sacrament, in our tabernacles. And so to discover that, you know, 
We're not home yet until we are in heaven. But that in no way diminishes what we do on earth. It gives to us a certain freedom, and it also gives to us a certain fearlessness so that we can go forward recognizing that even when we fall, we fall into God's mercy, and His mercy picks us up. I love to use the phrase, I have fallen upwards, because (laughs) His mercy is not just a safety net. It's a trampoline. We end up discovering that we are better off through His mercy than we would have been even if we had just kind of been fit as a fiddle, all on our own, taking pride in our own accomplishments. And so this idea that we are Catholics living in exile also helps us to deal with a toxic culture that has become so extremely secularist that we, we, you know, instead of looking, instead of succumbing to the temptation to look back on the 1980s, oh, when we had John Paul, when we had Reagan, when we still had Christian values, or the 1950s, before Vatican II, before all this confusion, or back in the 1200s when we had St. Thomas Aquinas. You know, that kind of thing is a paralyzing obsession that we're all kind of prone to, and yet it's utterly unproductive. So what we really need to do to fight the anger, the sadness, the cynicism, the nostalgia, and that kind of thing, is to recognize that we are exactly where our Father in Heaven wants us. Right. where we can become saints in spite of the challenges in a certain way, but also precisely because we face these challenges, but not on our own, together as brothers and sisters, but also with the saints through the sacraments and above all, the Holy Eucharist. Now, you uh, collaborated with Brandon McGinley on this and uh, just wanted to find out, you know, what, what message do you and Brandon want the reader to receive after reading this book? It's a message of hope, but it's a practical message of hope. Brandon and I have had, have been friends for many years. He's younger than me. He is amazing. Our conversations over the years have been so mutually exciting that we just, we wrote a book a few years back called It is Right and Just, Why the Future of Our Civilization Depends on True Religion. And then after the book was done, we had so much fun talking to people about their impressions, but the thing that they all shared was, that's exciting, but it's not practical, because we're not going to ever live to see that kind of change. But I said, you know, we don't want to lose our hope. We don't want to sure. We don't want to just plant the fall crop so that we have something to eat over the winter. We want to plant forests, even if we're not going to live, live long enough to see the, the, the woods, you know. But our grandkids, they're going to have lumber for their homes and that sort of thing. So Catholics in Exile is the sequel to It is Right and Just. But on the other hand, as Brandon and I have both observed, it would almost be easier to read Catholics in Exile first before then going on to this other book, It is Right and Just. But uh, you can they're both standalone books, but when they're read in tandem, I think they have a real powerful effect. Now, what I read also was that uh, Catholics in Exile is for Catholics who are fighting frustration and anger, and they need encouragement. Well, I mean, that is the case. I mean, let's face it. We live in a world Mm -hmm. today that is so far gone, and it seems to have gotten to the point of no return. But on the other hand, we still have to go through each day. And through prayer, or what we call the Jeremiah option, where you build houses, you plant fields, you raise your family, you go to work, you pray, and in little steps, gradually, incrementally, you become saints, and you reach other people 
who recognize that this world is going insane, and yet at the same time, there's a true sense in which, just as the Holy Family was facing opposition at the birth of Jesus, not only from Herod, but even from the high priest, mm-hmm. just like Jesus faced opposition from the high priest as well as you know, Pilate and others. So we are going to see corruption, both in the state and in the church. Mm-hmm. But God is not out of control. Jesus Christ is still the Lord of Lords. He is the King of Kings. No matter who wins the White House next year, He is going to be the Lord, and we ought to define our lives and our families around these truths that are more than just lofty ideals. These are the things that are going to last long after the winter has blown over. I agree. Uh, so beautifully said. And I, you know, we've got a few minutes left, and I, I want to talk about this Saturday, November 18th, to end our segment here, our first segment, and just let our list, give our listeners a, a little uh, synopsis of what you're going to be speaking about at the Our Lady of the Atonement. So my first, uh, let's see, the first presentation is going to begin shortly after 8 a.m. following the Mass. And I'm going to be focusing precisely on the subject matter of this brand new book that just came out days ago. It's called Catholics in Exile, Biblical Wisdom for the Journey Home. And I'm going to be taking about four or five sections from it to illustrate just how practically and powerfully we have insight from Scripture to really base our lives and our families. And through our friendship and through daily work, we can become saints and we can help others too as well. I must admit, though, I'm going to share after my presentation a little bit more about the St. Paul Center, mm-hmm. but the main, I think everybody, more people have heard of me than have, they've heard of Dr. Bergsma, but I think <laughs> when they stay and hear Dr. Bergsma, yeah. first speak on mass conversion, and then also speak on the power of confession. I mean, I'm so grateful for this, um, the National Eucharistic Revival, but we really can't have a fruitful revival in the Eucharist apart from rediscovering confession and the power of God's mercy as a medicine for our souls, for our marriages and our families. And so Dr. Bergen is going to be presenting also on the power of confession to really get more out of the Holy Eucharist. And uh, he is now the vice president at the St. Paul Center. He is doing so many remarkable things, especially his four-volume work called The Word of the Lord, where he pulls together all of the Sunday readings right. for years A, B, and C. And oh, I tell you, when people, when the people hear him, <laughs> I, I kind of feel like the warm-up act. <laughs> yeah. They might know the warm-up act better, but when they hear him, they're like, wow. Well, I think it's going to be worth it. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you what, everybody's looking forward to it. We got a minute here, but Dr. Scott Hahn, I think everybody is looking forward to the event. People can uh, uh, purchase their tickets at stpaulcenter.com forward slash San Antonio 2023 forward slash, and tickets are $35. Again, it's going to be at Our Lady of the Atonement on this Saturday, November 18th. Starts at 6.30, and it goes till 12.15 p.m., and I think it's going to be a great event. Dr. Scott Hahn, thank you so much, and happy belated birthday. Oh, you're welcome, Gordy. Thank you, and you keep up the great work here, dear thank brother. You. Thank you, Dr. Scott Hahn. So that music means we got to take a break. Thank you, Dr. Scott Hahn. That was a great segment. We'll be back. Listeners, hang tight, and uh, we'll be back in just a few.
is Gordy Zambrano, General Manager for the Guadalupe Radio Network. The 2023 Christmas share is just around the corner. The theme for this share is Joy to the World, starting Tuesday, November 28th through Friday, December 1st. We'll be on the air asking for your financial support to help keep the Guadalupe Radio Network on the air. Please prayerfully consider calling in at that time to make a one-time donation or monthly pledge of support. Thank you for your generosity and may the Lord abundantly bless you. The Eucharist, our source and summit. A day with Scott Hahn and John Bergsma will take place November 18th at Our Lady of the Atonement Catholic Church. Don't miss a day of fellowship, including Mass, Confession, Adoration, and Dynamic Presentations. Study Scripture from the heart of the Church with two of today's most respected scholars. Go deeper into the riches of our Catholic faith. To register, visit stpaulcenter.com forward slash San Antonio 2023. This is a Messy Family Minute from Mike and Alicia Hernan. Many people, especially young people in our culture today, are feeling fragmented and lost. They don't know who they are or where they belong. We can see this in an extreme form in the identity politics in our culture today. Without a strong family identity, people see connection and belonging in other places. It's the job of parents to give their children their identity and their mission. Families do this through their individual family culture. Your family culture, which includes daily routines as well as traditions, ultimately communicates a deep sense of belonging for your children. This sense of belonging as well as identity is essential for each person's feeling of worthiness and healthy human development. Having this security enables a person to engage with the world wholeheartedly and ready to love. Our identity shouldn't come from whatever social group we are part of, but instead from the fact that we all come from a family, our family on earth and our family in heaven. For more resources on building your family culture, visit us at MessyFamilyMinute.org. And we are back. Great conversation with Dr. Scott Hahn. And just want to remind everybody that this Saturday, November 18th at Our Lady of the Atonement Catholic Church, he will be speaking starting at 6.30 a.m. You want to you want to purchase your tickets and, and I want to encourage everybody to purchase your tickets. I want this event to be sold out there, $35. Again, let me give you the website. SaintPaulCenter.com and Saint is stpaulcenter.com forward slash San Antonio 2023 forward slash. So please support Dr. Scott Hahn. Go out there. He's going to talk about his book, uh, Catholics in Exile. I think it's going to be a fantastic, uh, uh, talk and you don't want to miss out. Uh, in the, so if you're listening to the Guadalupe Radio Networks in his vineyard, I'm your host, Gordy Zambrano, and I want to thank everybody for listening. And just a reminder to join our Facebook group page at GRN South and Central Texas, where you can see in his uh, vineyard live, I'm, I'm switching cameras, you can see our guests. And as a reminder, if you have an event that we can help build awareness about, please reach out to me. Uh, or join me on the show. That is what we're here for. Uh, and also, like I said in, the, in my opening, please include an hour of prayer in adoration for our priests, seminarians, deacons, nuns, uh, our, our bishops, uh, our archbishop, and our two bishops here from the Archdiocese of San Antonio. So I want to welcome uh, my guests for the second uh, uh, portion of our show, the second segment of our show. They're our newest sponsor for the Guadalupe Radio Network. And 
They are from AIP Hospice, which stands for Aging in Place. And uh, rather than go through all three of you, I'll start with JM here to my left. And uh, JM, welcome to the show. I'm glad you were able to come in with with uh, Deacon Augie and David Thompson, which uh, we'll have our time to discuss with you guys as well. But welcome to the show, JM. Tell us a little bit about AIP. Thank you, Gordy. Good afternoon to all the listeners, and um, thank you for having us here. Absolutely. Yes, um, AIP Hospice has been in existence uh, since 2017, so we've been going on for seven years now. And um, I joined the company in 2021, and um, um, primarily the vision of the the owner, is Danny Kitchen, mm-hmm. was, um, was to provide the best care that we can ever give to a patient, you know, um, when hospice is uh, needed for them. Um, Danny has um, has a, a number of uh, facilities, assisted living facilities in Helotes, Castroville, uh, in the medical center area, and then the newest one in Blanco Road oh. right down the street here. And uh, one way is to support those patients that he has. And uh, we have grown from, you know, from the initial and then when I took over, around 12 patients, and now we're at 56, we'll be pushing wow. to get more of those uh, servicing the the San Antonio area mm-hmm. and the surrounding, uh, you know, surrounding cities. Okay. How how was AIP uh, started? Yeah. So it it sent, yeah Danny was in uh, Danny was in the assisted living facilities. So, okay. So he created the he created a hospice agency to s- supplement the needs of his patients who were needing those care, and we will discuss you know further later what who who are is needed to require those kind of care, and from there he had that vision, and um, here we are now. Wow! Yeah. And so I, I want to bring David in uh, to talk about you know that care that uh, JM just talked about. What is what does that care look like, and how do uh, how do folks get get into that care? Oh, first of all, the care looks great. <laughs> uh, you know, we have some awesome nurses. Um, I interview and, and uh, hire the nurses myself. Um, they all have great experience, and they're from different venues. Um, the way to get into hospice care, a lot of folks think that you have to have a doctor's referral to get into hospice care. Uh, anybody can refer a patient to hospice. Uh, the patient themselves can actually refer themselves to hospice they can call uh you just got to get in touch with us uh and i think you got our number right uh you got to get in touch with us and we'll send out a team to assess you uh there are guidelines with medicare that you have to meet and those guidelines are basically symptoms right you know that your diagnosis your terminal diagnosis uh from that time we go to a uh, nursing assessment they call the doctor and the, the doctor deems whether you're appropriate or not Gotcha. So it's uh, it, it's all dependent on you know whether the doctor approves. Correct. Correct. And you know our nurses are trained to turn over every rock that they can because we don't want to leave anybody missed that right. needs our service. Right. And so right now, uh, JM just mentioned you have how many patients in care right now? Right now we're at fifty six. Um, our marketing team is out there hitting. The referral sources every day. Uh, we get referrals from the VA. We get referrals from all different places. So at the end of the day, we could be at 52. That's the nature of our business. Or we could be at 62. Okay. And this is 24-hour care? It is 24-hour care in a sense. 
Mm-hmm. Um, there are four different levels of hospice. You have routine care, you have continuous care, you have respite care, and you have general inpatient care. Uh, a lot of people, when they talk about 24-hour care, they think there's a nurse sitting there at bedside with them right. for 24 hours. Right. That's only at two different levels of care. That would be continuous care and G, uh, what we call GIP, but general inpatient care. Right. The normal routine care is what most people fit into. You know, we have a nurse that goes out uh, daily or bi-daily or once a week, just depending on what the patient needs. And at that point, uh, we do a lot of education. Right. Uh, One thing we we don't want to do, we don't want to be invasive in the home. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to take that... that, uh, responsibility from the caregiver away and be that person that provides all the the professional care, the technical care, all the skills that they don't have. And we want to teach them, but we want to take that burden off of them so they can just be a loved one. So we do a lot of education. We are available 24-7. You pick up that phone and call us and a nurse is coming out. Wow, that is so comforting to hear. And, you know, I want, I want to get Deacon Augie in here as well. And we'll come back to you, David sure. and J.M. But yes, with yes. Uh, Deacon Augie, I mean, de- there's a lot that goes into as far as the uh, health care and the spiritual aspect. And that's what you're here to tell us about and how what your role is within AIP on the spiritual side. Absolutely. We work with uh, all types of people of different faiths. <clears throat> and I try my best to do be there for each one of them. And uh, this is an important time of their lives because they can, uh, uh, this is the time when they're facing the Lord, uh, to facing the end of their right. lives, and they need that special uh, help to provide for them to to draw closer to the Lord, to be at peace, not to be anxious or, or uh, feeling like uh, they're by themselves. They feel lonely sometimes. And they also feel like uh, like uh, so many things have changed in their lives. So they need uh, somebody to comfort them and to direct them to prayer and direct them to the Lord and let them feel like that comfort, that peace right. that passes all that understanding with them. Amen. That is exactly what I want to know because I know when my father was going through hospice care, that that was so important to our family is getting a, a Catholic, a deacon, a priest to go see him, uh, especially during his last days. And so I'm sure you see a lot of that, and I'm sure that's very, very hard. It's it's difficult, but it's also a privilege for me to be yeah. able to be there during that time because uh, sometimes families are, are, they don't know what to do. They, they, they say, well, where do we go from here? Right. And my suggestion many times is, let me call your parish priest so they can come by and do the anointing of the six, go through the reconciliation, receive the viaticum where they can receive the the body of Christ before they leave. Now, we don't know exactly when they're going to go, but we can be there and already preparing us. You know, the Lord's always calling us to be prepared because we don't know when we're going to die that's right. We're not us, not them, and we're going to provide that service for them. And whether we could go to their house, whether we go to a facility, whether we go to a cottage, we're going to go and we're going to provide that service for them. Yeah, that is so beautiful and very comforting to know that, you know, you are there on call 
mm-hmm. um, you know, to provide the uh, services from the Catholic Church, Absolutely. which is which is beautiful. And and I want to go to JM again and and yeah. uh, just ask you: Are all hospice programs the same? Oh no, I mean we are all we are all guided by uh, by Medicare. Of course, there are always that um, that guidelines that we all um, follow. But um, at the end of the day, it matters who who takes care of your loved one, and that is uh, that is what makes me proud of my team here because they do provide compassionate care, making sure that we're there for them and uh, support not just for for the patient because that's our primary concern, right. but also for the families and the caregivers because at the end of the day, they were the ones who's going to be there for them the much one all the time and giving them that support of because they're your loved one right right and um so the difference to answer your question yeah we're there they're a lot different we're a lot different from all these hospice agencies well you mentioned you know medicare medicaid vi va private insurance what if i don't have insurance can i still receive hospice services yes sir yes yes you can you know there's always uh, there's always um, a way to to accommodate patients you know um, whether through private pay or private insurance or through Medicare and Medicaid, we also do, uh, for the most part, you know, we do uh, charity cases also. Okay. You know, so that is, um, that is something that we can always evaluate and consider and, um, and uh, just to make sure that we're providing that care for that person. Good enough. Now, David, I want to get back to you. Is there, um, is there a fee for consultation? Somebody, you know, maybe they're listening right now and maybe it's their parents, maybe it's their loved one, but they need to find out more about hospice care. Could you, do you guys go out there and talk to them about it and all that it Absolutely. entails? Absolutely. No fee. Uh, you, you never are out any, any money out of your pocket. Okay. Uh, you just got to let us know that you want us to talk to you. I mean, we'll come out there. We're not going to try to sell you on hospice or try to pull you in hospice if that's what's needed. Our mission is to educate you, educate you so there's no fear about hospice. A lot of folks are afraid of hospice. A lot of folks think they're, you know, that's that's it. And we're going to come out there, we're going to educate you, and we're going to let you know. We're going to give you an honest evaluation what we think, you know, if if you're at that time or or not. Now, another question that I I came up with here, and I think you guys came up with the same question, is talk about, I want to talk about that word, morphine. Morphine. Okay, and here's what I've heard, that it speeds up death. Is that true? I've heard that, too. I can't tell you how many times. uh, Gosh, I used to be an RN case manager myself, not always the director. And so many visits, I would go out and it'd come time for morphine. Uh, And I've had to educate. I couldn't tell you how many families over the years about this. There is a... Very big fear. It's a real fear about morphine. The truth about it is when the body, when when the person is in a terminal stage, sometimes there will be a lot of distress involved. You know, their body is being tormented in so many ways. Right. Uh, and that body is now in a fight or flight state. And that body is going to hold on and hold on and hold on. The bad thing is a lot of people wait too late, okay, to start the medication. And this is where that comes into play. Morphine is going to relax the body. 
okay? It's going to take you out of that state to where there's no more torment, okay? And sadly enough that if we've waited too long, it will tend to appear like that in some cases. But if it's not time for you to go, no, sir, the morphine's not going to hasten the death. It's just going to relax you. Gotcha. And then when, it's time, when the time does come, our mission is to make you comfortable so there is a peaceful passing. So you manage that through and through. And the other the other question that I had that came in from a couple of people and they wanted me to ask you was, do you have to sign a DNR, a do not resuscitate, to be on hospice care? Well, short answer to that is no, you do not. I mean, hospice doesn't make you do anything you don't want to do. Okay. Right. I mean, we don't take away your rights. Okay. Right. Uh, I will tell you a DNR as a nurse, I, I'm going to have a DNR myself. Because, number one, we've got a lot of older population, a lot of fragile folks, okay? Right. And when you get some good, some good CPR, you're going to have some broken ribs probably. So there's a lot of things to consider, yeah. okay? There is. But, uh, no, you do not have to have a DNR. Okay. Well, that's, uh, I've, I've had some questions come in that, you know, people wanted me to ask. And, J.M., I'll, I'll pose this question to you. If you choose hospice, do you have to leave your home? No, you don't have to. You know, there's always um, places for you to to be accommodated. If you want to be staying at home, we will keep you at home. We'll right. have, send a team there. You'll have your team of an RN case manager who's going to manage your care. We have hospice aides that will take care of your, you know, um, the grooming part and the cleaning part and make sure that, you know, that the, the patient is clean. And, um, well, uh, well, well taken care of. Um, we also provide, do provide some of those uh, supplies as needed. Right. Um, incontinent supplies. And on top of that, the medication management as well. Um, if they so choose to, let's say, um, the family would want to put them in a, in a, in a facility, then right. that can also be arranged. But, yeah, they can, they can stay at home. So it could either be home or at a facility. Yes, and, you know, the, the, the big question that comes up is money, right? Yes. Money's always, uh, you know, one of the things that comes up in families that are trying to figure out whether hospice care is, is right for their family or for their loved one. Um, as far as out-of-pocket, I mean, is there a big expense? I don't know which one of you want to answer that question, but. Hmm, no, Jay, I mean. If you if you have the if you have if you have under the Medicare or Medicaid program or the VA program, uh-huh. most definitely there's no out of pocket cost for you. You know, so you will you will be covered 100 percent on those. Um, there's some there's some if you're gonna go private pay, yes, of course, you know that right. will be because you don't have any insurance to take care of that. Gotcha. So. Well, the other question that I had that came in was. Uh, uh, can I receive hospice and keep my Medicare Advantage plan? Yes, of course. You know, you can. You can still, as long mm-hmm. as you, the Medicare okay. Advantage plan is kind of like supplemental to the Medicare. So they, as long as they pay those premiums, they can still keep those. Right. Okay. And Deacon, I want to come back to you because I haven't asked you another question from the spiritual aspect of it. But, you know, as, you, uh, as you've been, how long have you been with AIP on the? Uh, I'm going on my third year. Okay. So, um, as a matter of fact, I came in and right away. I was put to work, and it's uh, true. So, it's true. <laughs> so, you know, my my mission is to be with those patients, with the uh, people. 
being with them is what I'm really called to do. And for them, they need that presence, that prayer, that assurance, that encouragement that they people need to hear. And the families as well. Yes. Studies have shown that when they've been uh, receiving a chaplain over a period of time, during the time that they were ill, they recover in the grief form a little bit better than people that didn't have anybody to come and pray with them and encourage them during that time to bring them together for prayer. They feel more at peace and they're willing to see they can face anything after that. Yeah. So the the presence of prayer is powerful, powerful. People sometimes forget that when we say, hey, I'll pray for you. But it doesn't mean much, but it does mean tremendous amount of power. You know, the scripture says the the prayers of a righteous person availeth much, and it certainly does. And I try to encourage not only the family and the patient to pray because they still have a mission. Even with their last breath, they can still ask God to help them as well as for their families. Well, that's uh, that's beautiful. And I know that firsthand because I know when my dad was in hospice care, he passed in 2013. Uh, it was very hard mm-hmm. on our family, my sisters and myself taking care of him. And uh, when, when a deacon showed up with the Eucharist, that turned everything around. Oh, it's, it's very important. But uh, sometimes even after I've, I've gotten a, a good rapport with the family, they'll ask me, could you do the services? Can you do the rosary yes. for my dad, for my mom? And, uh, and I'll also do sometimes the graveside service as well. So, and, and I do services not just for the Catholics, but I'm present for other people of different faiths as well. Oh, that's good so, to know, yeah. Uh, uh, you know, you know, God's love is for everybody, and I'm going to try to share that love with everybody else as well. Wow, that's beautiful. Yeah, like I was saying, when, when you know, my dad was uh, given the Eucharist, mm-hmm. and he wanted it even more, mm-hmm. you know, as he was going in his later stages, and it seemed to just bring him joy. Oh, yes. As well as the comfort of, you know, the priest or a deacon. Uh, we even had a seminarian show up just to talk to him. Just to oh, talk yes. to him about his end of life and, and what his next journey may, may be about. So I'm sure you see a lot of that as well. I see it all the time. And one of the things that I do is that sometimes, depending on the area that I'm at, I call for the pastor of that area, their pastor, their priest, to come by and do the anointing while they can still speak So because they can want to do their reconciliation. Yeah. Sometimes that people ask after they can't, respond anymore they can still receive the anointing of the sick but it's it's better to do it while they can still communicate absolutely now go back to uh jm on this question and uh is there um well i don't i already asked uh, david about the fee but for aip aging in place um what is the future of aip how what do you have as far as growth plans and i know you mentioned the number of patients that you have right now um, with that growth, what is AIP ready to do in terms of gearing up for that growth? Yes, yeah, so we we have a we have a plan in place to to grow the, to this number to cater more to our um, to our patients. 
the same time, that that is primarily recruiting the right people, right? To provide the right care, who's got the right vision <coughs> with us, which is um, which is to provide that care that we that we are so proud of, and um, and at the same time, start from staffing, making mm-hmm. sure that uh, making sure that we provide the services like the the support services like the uh, chaplain, and we mm-hmm. do have social services program too for them we have a social worker oh tell uh, me about that yeah so it because this is a this is a holistic approach in 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 managing care of our patients so if there is a need for social services then you know our services are also offered actually in the beginning of when we admit a patient um an initial assessment was being conducted by the chaplain and the social services uh, person, which is our licensed social worker. Okay. So aside from that, we have programs. Actually, we have support group meetings still every month that we, um, the second Saturday of each month. So to, to encourage our caregivers to come down and sit down and, and explore options and how we can further help them. Right. You know, um, and, and things like that. And um, also on the anniversaries of their, the death anniversaries, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll try to, um, we'll put this in place to get the, like a, a year anniversary and give them a, a tree planting activity where they can see a, gro- a tree that's being planted right. or in their memory. And um, so that we can, we can have, that, um, have that in place as well. Good, good deal. Now, can David, I, I, I chime in on that? Yeah, and I was just going to okay. come to you. Go ahead. Because uh, it's, this is about our growth, how we're preparing to yeah. grow. Uh, and I'm, I'm very proud of this. And, and, and it's, it's because JM and Danny has allowed me to do this. Our nurses, our caseloads that our nurses have, you call out most hospice, and this is, you know, the, the difference between hospice. You call out most hospice, and I've been an RN case manager before. I've worked. I've driven around. I've, I've done this. Right. I've had 18, 22 patients before. Okay. Wow. The average caseload is going to start about 16, and it's going to go up to 20 or more. Not very good. I don't like that. RN caseload is 12 to 1. Wow. 12 patients. Okay. So our RNs have plenty of time to stay with our patients. They have time for documentation. They have time to see patients daily if they need to. Right. And as they grow, if, if their caseload gets to 13, 14, and that's the average, it's time to hire another RN. Mm-hmm. And guess what? We don't have to look far because I like to keep an RN on deck. Oh, we nice. will hire an RN, PRN status as needed. Wow. They'll work for us, do visits for us. We'll learn about them. They'll learn about us. Right. If we like them, they like us. When we're ready, they're full-time. So that's our plan for growth. Because they're the we, front line. They're that's seeing, how we handle that. Yeah, they're in front of patients every day. Yeah. So they've exactly. got to be above par. Exactly. And you have to be ready for that growth. <clears throat> right. You have to. Well, I, I would be remiss if uh, I didn't include uh, the number. Uh, I'm sure people are, our listeners are listening. And if you want to get in contact with AIP Hospice, the number to call is 210-260-0000. And uh, somebody will answer your call, of course. You probably have a call center. Yes. Now, you mentioned your website is currently under construction, so that's coming. But Tell us a little bit about the, uh, the the initial contact and and what happens after that, JM. Yes, yeah, so as I'll I'll continue whatever David has said earlier about it. You know, we um, we will explore that option, getting communication with the patient, making sure that that um, their questions are answered. 
Because primarily the first question that they're going to ask is, can I pay, can I afford this? Right. You know, that's always, that's always a question. So we'll run sure. eligibility. We will uh, give them permission. They'll give us permission to run that eligibility. And from there, we can start discussion. Um, we will also have our team of, um, our admissions team to talk to the family, have a visit with them. Yeah. And have a face-to-face encounter with our, with our marketing people. At the same time, have that piggyback. On that will be the nursing team having that assessment for them. Now, we got one minute, but what if somebody's in hospice care right now and it's not going so well? And they heard, they're hearing our program and they want to contact you. Give Can't- us a call. Give us a call. There's a thing in hospice called a transfer. If you're with a subpar company, you can always do that. Give us a call. Ooh, that's very comforting to know. And they call that number at 210-260-0000. And you're located off of uh, 5962 Danny K Drive here in yes, San sir. Antonio. You're local. Um, and I'm just so glad that y'all decided to become part of the Guadalupe Radio Network as a sponsor. And so for us, that is just a, a blessing. JM, Deacon Augie. David, thank you for coming in. Thank you and for, for our listeners, thank you for listening in. You can hear our AIP Hospice PSA every day. And uh, I'm just so, so thankful for our guests. And thank you to uh, Dr. Scott Hahn. And again, pray for our vocations, everybody. God bless and have a great week. Join us in praying a Hail Mary. For families facing illness, unemployment, or death, may they keep the flame of hope burning in their hearts. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Guadalupe Radio Network announces the launch of La Promesa Legacy Circle, formed to recognize and honor our dedicated donors who have made long-term commitments to the network through gifts from their estates. We invite you to join our family and allow us to be a part of your personal legacy. For more information on making a legacy gift for the benefit of the GRN and a guide to charitable estate planning, contact our friends at the Catholic Foundation at 972-661-9792 or info at catholicfoundation.com. This is Bishop Andrew Cousins, Chair of the National Eucharistic Revival, with this month's Eucharistic Moment. Most food, when we eat it, becomes part of us. But when we receive Holy Communion, it is we who are transformed. This profound spiritual exchange has vital implications for our faith and our world. It means that when we faithfully receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist, we become that which we receive. We attach ourselves to the vine and become the hands and feet of Jesus in our world. Imagine how our communities would change if we left Mass on Sunday, living tabernacles, configured into the sacred heart of Jesus to share the love of Jesus Christ with our world. When you receive Holy Communion, let Jesus place you in His heart and transform you. Consume Him so that He might transform you. Your connection to our treasured Catholic faith all day, every day. This is the Guadalupe Radio Network, radio for your soul.
This is KJMA 89.7 FM, Floresville, San Antonio, also streaming the truth to the world at grnonline.com. It's food for the immortal soul, all day and all night.